The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 98 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier, and we've got such a fun episode for you this week. Uh, Before we get into it, we always want to thank our reviewers, first of all, on iTunes. We had just a wonderful five-star review from uh, the user is SEIdahoJVZ, and that is on Apple Podcasts. He left such a wonderful review, and we really appreciate it. And then on Facebook, we got a a great five-star review from Taylor Smith, Taylor, thank you so much for the kind words. Taylor uh, often, you know, interacts with us on social media. And by the way, as of the release of this episode, happy birthday to Taylor. Today is his birthday. So Taylor, I hope you're having a wonderful birthday. You deserve it. One other item of business. Uh, If you're a longtime listener to the show, uh, Williamson Sintel was on episode 59, and he told his incredible story of surviving the earthquake in Haiti how he found the gospel. It's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, Go check it out. If you've not listened, it's incredible. But I also know uh, Williamson runs a uh, landscaping and tree service company called Harmony Yard and Tree Services. And this summer, we've been so busy, our yard, it just started to feel like it was getting away from us. I called Williamson and hired him, and he and his crew have been out here They have done such an incredible job, and he didn't ask for this. This is not an ad or anything else. I just wanted to share with you, because he's a friend of the show, if you're in Utah and looking to get yard work done, he can be reached at 801-498-0201, or you can email him at harmonyyardandtreeservices.com at gmail.com. It's a great price and great work, and Williamson is the best, so really highly recommend him. All right, this week on the show, we have got rock stars, legitimate rock stars. Uh, Jesse Andereg and Kevin Packard are my guests, and it was really fun connecting with these guys. We're all about the same age, and Their story is just so fun. It's a story of how their band came together. But even more than that, it's a story of two best friends with a dream. And it was so fun getting to know them. We actually recorded the whole thing online. Uh, Jesse is up in northern Utah. Kevin is out in Nashville. And of course, I'm I'm here in... uh, the Provo area. And so I can't wait. Someday I'm hoping that I get to meet these guys in person and even more so I want to see them perform live. So it's a great conversation. And this week in my Latter-day life, I'll tell you how the prophet really lifted my spirits when I was feeling down. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And 
And today on the program, it is my absolute pleasure to have two very talented musicians, two guys who are across the country from each other. This is the first time we've ever done it where I've got two guests on and we are in three completely different rooms. My guests are Jesse Andereg and Kevin Packard of the amazing band Checkpoint Charlie. Welcome to the show, guys. Great Thank to be you. here. Yeah, fantastic. We're excited to hear the whole Checkpoint Charlie story. Um, but let's let's kick off with what is Checkpoint Charlie? Checkpoint Charlie is essentially just myself and Jesse uh, having played in, in different bands together for the better part of 30 years. Uh, we wanted a, a vehicle that would not only promote uh, what makes our musical uh, clock tick, but also something that we could use to promote our faith uh, and, and not in a way that is uh, intrusive or preachy, but in, in a way that uh, just gives glory to our Heavenly Father. I, and in a fun way, you guys are such a like. I mean, but you're a true rock and roll band. I mean, that's what we're talking about. When we talk about Checkpoint Charlie. You are a a rock. I like it. What, what did you call yourselves? Power pop. Yeah, the power pop band. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's really infectious, fun music. So we're going to hear all about kind of how Checkpoint Charlie came to be. But let's learn a little bit about more uh, about each of you. Who wants to go first? Tell us a little bit about your your formative years. Just go, Kevin. Away. Oh. oh man, see oh. <laughs> that's how we are right there. <laughs> you sound like a true rock and roll band right there. That's awesome. That's something that makes Kevin and I work well together. Is we're pretty respectful of of each other's opinions. Um, but let, let's see. I I I started out uh, life living in Utah, and my family um, w- was very musical and. We sung around the dinner table all the time. We'd go to restaurants and sing until our food got to us and people would applaud us. And I grew up kind of in a very musical family. Um, Now, Jesse, when you say your family was musical, were you all singers? Were you all musically talented that way? Or were you all musicians, uh, like instruments? Mostly vocal, but uh, some of us played some piano and some other instruments, um, but mostly vocal. You were the Utah Von Trapps. You were there singing. That's amazing. I didn't know that was a thing. We That's kind of so were. Awesome. And my parents would actually lug us out of state and we would we would perform. Uh, we have roots in Washington state also. And we would perform up there in the Spokane area and, and travel. And it was kind of a weird, a weird life for me. But uh, did you fall in love with music right away or was it just expected of you, Jesse? Um. Uh, I fall in love with music. It's, it's kind of weird. It's like, did I fall in love with air? <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I love, love to it. breathe air. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I don't think I, I don't think it was so much later in life that I realized you could have an existence without music. Um, but it, it really did feel like drowning or, or suffocating. Um, <laughs> it was just a weird thought, you know, like, no, you have to have music always. I mean, I, I used to lay a bed, lay in bed and listen to my heartbeat and like make rhythms out of it, you know, cause I could hear my blood pulsing through my ear and like, I would, I'd come up with songs as I, you know, as, as my heart was keeping <laughs> the, you know, keeping the, the click track going. <laughs> so we are musical creatures. So this takes us over to Kevin. Kevin. Yeah. 
You were, uh, you were, where, where did you grow well, up? See, I was born in California. We moved to Utah when I was five and, uh, I'm the youngest of five. I have four older sisters and growing up in Salt Lake during the eighties, uh, was a, it was a completely unique thing because there was this whole culture, this, this subculture in Salt Lake city in the eighties that just really embraced, uh, alternative music. And because of that, because of that, my sisters were all about, it, and I was just really into anything that my sisters were listening to. And so, um, you know, being a child of the '80s and being from Salt Lake City, I was a Howard Jones fan, and I wanted to try and play keyboards, but it never happened. And I found a love <laughs> through the Police for the drums, and so I started playing uh, drums at an earlier age. I developed perfect pitch in high school when I was just hanging out with Jesse, and and uh, like like Jesse said, when we were. Uh, in a play together at uh, Alta High School there in Sandy, uh, we met and found this mutual love for the sort of stuff that was playing on, you know, KJQ and KCGL and all those other sort of alternative stations back in the in the day. Um, I I kind of like to think that I was raised at a shopping mall at Crossroads <laughs> because uh, I would I would get on UTA every Friday and meet my mom downtown. She worked at uh, the ZCMI Center, and I would just absorb the local culture, uh, whether it was hanging out at record stores and, and striking conversations with people or going to music stores and, and, and trying to sort of network mu- with musicians there. And, and, and uh, having that sort of backbone musically kind of made me a fan first and a, and a, and a, a musician second. And so, I mean, I have a passion for music and, and for not only for music, but for the music, for musical instruments. I love musical instruments. And um, that sort of led me to my profession in, in the musical instrument industry. But, uh, you know, I found a, a musical brotherhood with Jesse that was, you know, completely unique. There was a, a, a point in our first band in high school where someone heard us harmonize together and they said, oh, you usually can't find uh harmony that strong between two guys unless they're brothers. And, and I've always, I've always said that Jesse is my brother. I'll believe it and, and live it and preach it until I die. So yeah, that's uh I love Amen, that. brother. So how did you guys, how, <laughs> how did you guys actually meet? What's the story you were, did you guys, were you were at the same high school? Yeah, yeah. We well, were. We, There's some discrepancy here. Kevin, you go first. Oh, well, see, I I had been playing in basement bands with, you know, a, a couple of friends and they were kind of going into a direction that I didn't really want. I was tired of playing Led Zeppelin. I wanted to play Duran Duran, right? And so, because um, <laughs> every, every kid who's playing guitar, or at least every kid back then who was playing guitar could play Stairway to Heaven and you know, three heaven, or four sure, other songs. And I wanted to play Hungry Like the Wolf, right? And, and, and awesome. I had just like, I had just seen like Peter Murphy at the, at the triad center and, and I wanted to play, you know, those kind of covers and things like that. And in reality, what I really wanted to do, I wanted to be in Wingo Boingo hands yeah. down. And so when I first met Jesse in this play, it was at the recommendation of a mutual friend. I was like, I got to meet some other musicians. And, and he, and this mutual friend knew that Jesse and, and guys that we've been playing with since then, you know, on and off we're all sort of playing together and have been for years. And so um, we were in the same play together and I just walked up and said, I, you know, I heard you're this great bass player. When can we get together and jam? And it wasn't really a question. It was like a, okay, I'm ready. Let's play kind of a thing. And, and when Jesse, myself and our friend uh, Gar got together and started playing together, there was this instant, like sort of tight feeling. And we wanted to be Oingo Boingo. So we, 
had our, our basic rhythm section, our two guitars, and then we got our friends who played, you know, brass instruments to come in and play with us. And we were like, okay, yeah, this is it. We're we're gonna we're gonna play, you know, we're gonna be a ska band before it was cool to be a ska band, you know? This is like 80, 88, 89. Uh and and so we were like I said, we wanted to play you know, Boingo covers and, and, yeah. uh, things like REM new wave, all stuff, the new really. wave stuff. Yeah. We were huge. <laughs> well, I mean, I was, I don't know. I was kind of the, 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 the kid who dressed like ducky from pretty in pink <laughs> at our yeah. high school, you know, and, awesome. and, and Jesse was senior class president. And so I always kind of thought these guys are doing me a favor by hanging out with me because <laughs> they were the cool kids and I was the nerd, you know? So what was the name of the first band? It was, where were we? We were Ultra Zingdu. Ultra right, Zingdu. Yeah. <laughs> Ultra Zingdu. If you, if you want to, if you want to be a part of the new wave culture, Ultra Zingdu is the way to do yeah. it. That is such a <laughs> That's band true. name. I wanted to be like, uh, there was a Gary Newman album out called The Fury and I wanted to call us The Fury and, and uh, lighter heads prevailed and we went with Ultra Zingdu instead. Yeah, Ultra Zingdu is is so 80s. <laughs> Anybody who lived through the 80s is not at all surprised you were called Ultra Zingdu. <laughs> so did you start playing? What was the first real gig you guys played? I'm sure you remember your first gig. Oh, Jesse, go. Well, that was that was definitely the Pepperwood party, right, Kevin? Well, the, that was the first big gig we played. The first gig we actually played was a house party for our friend Angie. And, oh, yeah, and of course. It was her birthday party. And then we started playing whatever birthday party we could, you know, fitting ourselves into. Oh, you have a basement? It's your birthday? Let's come play, you know? And that <laughs> it just became the jam, you know? Well, that's right. And yeah. we, we had guitar amps. We had nothing mic'd except vocals, but the vocals... Uh, I don't even remember. I think we plugged those into a guitar amp at first. No, the, the best part was like a friend of ours found like salvaged this big horn speaker out of an old steak uh, gymnasium, like a, like a, like a steak center gym. <laughs> and we, for a time we're plugging our vocals through that. And it sounded like being uh, with a phone or something, you know, trying to sing talking heads through a phone speaker or something. Were you doing all covers or were you doing originals too? Mostly covers at first. Yeah, I think that's how most bands, especially young bands, of course, you know, that's yeah. how they figure out how to play and figure out how to find a pocket. And um, I mean, you play stuff that you that excites you. We we did write a couple of sem- semi covers, which are actually all uh, uploaded to a SoundCloud uh, <laughs> page that I created once for as we've as we've gotten a couple of fans over the years too. Uh, they wanted to hear our uh, <laughs> they they wanted to hear our early stuff and and I, I, we tracked it down and uh, and and uploaded it we can we can provide a link for that kind of stuff if, if anyone's interested it's all on our yeah. it's on our website at checkpointcharlie.rocks you threw out checkpointcharlie.rocks it's charlie c h a r l e y that's really important for our listeners. Yes, correct. As they're looking up Checkpoint Charlie, and there's a story I there. Want to make you sure people say, can find you, Kevin. You should explain that. Oh yeah, well for sure. I mean, uh, again, growing up in the '80s in uh, in Salt Lake City, there were two constants. Temple Square was always Ground Zero, and Mash was on three times a day. Um, it, it was on <laughs> at, at, at five o'clock, five thirty, and ten thirty every single day. And because of that, we watched MASH three times a day, right? And there was a character in two episodes named Five O'Clock Charlie uh, with an E-Y. Um, 
that we always love that episode. It was always hilarious. But fast forwarding several years, my wife is an opera singer and we took a tour uh, with a choir she was in uh, through Eastern Germany. And we ended up at um, Checkpoint Charlie, which was the last point of freedom before you cross into Eastern Germany when the Iron Curtain was still up. And uh, at the time, Jesse and I were recording our first record, Songs 1 through 12, and um, we were trying to figure out a name. And the gravity of of being at that site was so powerful for me. I was just like, Jesse, this is this this has to be our name. Um, we were driving around L. This is back when we were living in Los Angeles, and we had just uh, finished sort of trying to play the club scene there as a trio with a, um, another guitar player from Utah. And um, we were thinking about kind of branching off on our own and making our own sound uh, with Checkpoint Charlie. And and at one point we were considering calling ourselves the Precious <laughs> because we, we, you know, Lord of the Rings had just come out and it was awesome. Oh, but, we were also considering Valiant B. <laughs> I forgot about Valiant B. <laughs> I, I, I remember oh, when we floated great. that to our producer, as like the second to the last song before the album was done and we still hadn't come up with a band name. <laughs> and we were like, hey, what if we called ourselves Valiant B? And our producer was like, <laughs> and he goes anything but the precious uh, <laughs> valiant b is actually a really cool sounding I, name for a I band. totally I mean, dig you know, actually, i think it would have been awesome. great but works on multiple levels we uh so. we stayed with checkpoint charlie because of the significance of the um of the site yeah. and just because of of you know mash is awesome Awesome. And it's a great name. I mean, that's just a great rock and roll name, Checkpoint Charlie. Let's jump back then to, let's go back to high school now. You guys are are uh, the new wave heroes. You're playing house parties. And then this big gig comes up. What was the first big gig? Well, we, you know, we, there was this big graduation party that they had every year. At this, you know, Back then, gated communities weren't like, you were really rich if you lived in a gated community. And they had this one gated community called Pepperwood. And um, because Jesse was the senior class president, of the graduating class, he got us this gig playing at this big gated community sort of priority party for the, uh, the graduating class. And I don't think my status was, <laughs> had anything to do with it. It was just my, my tenacity. Big man on campus. Yeah. No, but you know, that- so you play that show. Did it feel, did you feel like rock stars? Was that the first time you felt like, oh, yeah. Hey, we are, yeah. It was the first time we played through a real sound system with real PA, sound guys. And guide. they were like, oh my gosh, we sound so big, you know? And, and you know, that led to us, because now back back in the 80s, you know, there were a lot of really cool places for younger bands to play. Um, and you couldn't do it the way we did it, you know, now. But we got a gig playing at the 49th Street Galleria um, every mm. Friday night um, on the stage there. And, you know, cause we were unique. I mean, we, we were a high school band that had actual brass, you know, instruments and stuff like that in it. And that funded our first sort of eight song EP, um, you know, us playing there, you know, cause you actually had to go to a, a real recording studio to actually record an album back then. And so like, you know, the money that we got from playing those Friday night gigs went to us, um, you know, making this, this, this EP. Salt Lake city is really unique, you know, it, being in the musical instrument industry, um, as I've been for the last 20 years, Salt Lake is a really unique market because there, there are a million kids and they all take lessons in something. Right. And so surprisingly <laughs> enough, point. like there are more drum sets sold in Salt Lake city, uh, than any other state. I know this, um, is that per capita. That's, 
Yeah, it's per capita for real. There are more um, pianos wow. sold per capita in 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 well, Salt Lake no City. Well, that's no surprise. It's like the golden the, the golden <laughs> market for selling a piano is is Salt Lake City, right? Um, I wouldn't have thought of that, but I, I, yeah, that makes total sense. And because of that, there are a lot of younger bands that 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 sort of spring out of of all those kids taking all those lessons, and and so you oh, know that's so it, fun. In the eighties, there were a lot of really cool little local bands, and all of us wanted to be you know that band that got hired to do that thing by KJQ. So was it ever a temptation to say, Hey, you know what? Missions are coming up. Should we pursue rock and roll? Or was it a given? No, we're going on missions. Was that always the, plan? it was never even a, a discussion. It was, I mean, we all knew we were going on missions. Most of us. Um, I can't speak for you, Kevin, but I mean, we never even had the discussion. I don't think. Is that right, Kev? It says in the book of Mormon that you, you don't come to a, you know, a, a, a true realization to life, the trial of your faith. Right. And, and I had a huge trial of my faith because I wanted to, I was working at this record store, you know, Jesse went on a mission, all of my friends went on missions. And I had this, this moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to feel like the friend that didn't go to war, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay home. And I had this great job at a record mm. store and I had a beautiful girlfriend and everything was going beautifully. And, and then like it so often does the spirit, like took a hold of my life. I, the, the, my heavenly father put me in so many different situations that made it impossible for me to deny that I needed to serve a mission. And, and awesome. Um, and, and it was the, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life, you know? And, and by the time I got home, Jesse was, w- was home and we were uh, ready to play. I'm sorry. I have to back up, Kevin. Um, we weren't really ready to play. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin went out on his mission. He's a year younger than I am. And he took, some time to decide to go. I just remember there was this long period of time where Kevin and I didn't play music and it was due to missions. And then I got home and pretty quickly got married and got really into college. I was going to go off to medical school, uh, which I eventually I veered off and went into physics. Um, uh, and I was super into school and Kevin got back from his mission and was bugging me and bugging me and bugging me to do music again. And <laughs> I was like, no, I had, I had hung it up. And I remember he eventually wrangled me into doing a gig. And, and as soon as I, as soon as we started playing live again, it just was like, oh man, it all came rushing back. And I'm, I was hooked. I knew I was hooked for life. Much to my (laughs) wife's chagrin, I think. Now your wife obviously knew about your history of the, the heyday of music. Uh, how'd she feel about you getting back into music? I don't think she knew about it. You say obviously, but <laughs> we were pretty young. I married her at 18 and I was 22. We were pretty stupid. Um, That's funny. I mean, she knew I was musical from my family. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, sung the hymns pretty well. But uh, she, I don't yeah. think she knew that I was, I had this secret closet uh, addiction <laughs> to playing in a band. <laughs> and I didn't, I, I thought I had let it go, but um Kevin, and it's probably better she didn't know before you got married. So, you know. <laughs> well, and Kevin, where did where did you serve your mission? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, awesome. The Midwest is a, an interesting proving ground. And the, the cool thing about that is, I mean, like, okay, when you go on a mission, you play basketball, right? And if you if you go to Indiana, which is you know the basketball capital of the states, you you play yeah. basketball. I'm not a basketball player, and so mm. on P days, I would sit and play guitar uh, while my companions were playing. Uh, uh, basketball. It's probably not 
you know, legal. <laughs> you were one of those missionaries. I, you know, I, I would like, I, I would learn how to play guitar and that's how I learned how to play and, and songwrite was, was learning how to play on P day. Um, as obediently as possible, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, you came back from That's your mission so a much better guitar player. Uh, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I would hope that I came back from my mission a much better person, but guitar was a nice <laughs> thing to take. You know? Are, can, can they be separated, Kevin? Can they? <laughs> so you get the band back together. You do this gig. Was that it? Was that you were hooked? The magic was back? You know, we the, the, the whole era between the time that Jesse and I moved to L.A. and the time that we um, were trying to gig in Utah was a really interesting one because we tried to create this band. That we, we called ourselves The Find, and it was trying to be a democracy. And you can't really have a democracy uh, in, a, in a band. There has to be kind of a sounding voice and a deciding factor. And so we put we we, we spent all this time and all this money making this record um, that just kind of sounds like a mistake. Um, no, that's I, pretty harsh. I, 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 I know, but I mean like, you know, it, there, there, it, it's, it's sort of like, it's completely unhinged and there's really no kind of single uh, style that it adheres to. And so Kevin, it, you know, there are find fans out there oh, that right. are like <laughs> going to come like again, both of knock them. your door down. <laughs> How dare you speak of the find that way? Yes. But did you guys? So did you move out to LA at, at the exact same time? I mean, pretty you close. There for we're going. We're going to pursue music. That's it. You no, know, I, I. We started seeing. I don't know. I started seeing the fact that there was only really one. I, I had this mentor who um, I managed a, a, a musical instrument store for. And, in Salt Lake. In Salt Lake, and uh, we were doing wholesale, uh, you know, drum sets and other musical instruments. And I was considering taking a job with this um, competing company. And it, he, a member of the church, a really strong, amazing mentor um, whose day job was being a dentist. He, I, I came to him with this opportunity to, to move to Los Angeles to work with this competing company. And he said, you know, I need you to do it for only one reason, that if you don't do it now, you'll always question what happened if you did. And I'm grateful that I followed his advice Love because it. I, you know, it. Uh, we we both went west. Jesse and his wife uh, went for a a, a residency because his, his wife is a brilliant doctor. Um, I went as a solo guy, as a single guy, and um, eventually found met and married my wife. Uh, and you know, California became something that was very much a part of us. It still you know feels like home to me. I'll never live there again, but uh, it still feels like home. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way with California. <laughs> Uh, so the find, was it disheartening to like, you know, you put everything into it and you think, okay, this is it. And then the find turns out to not be the end all be all. How hard is that? It was hard. We had really poured our heart and soul into that record. It's called Front Porch Parade. It took us about three years to record and we self-mixed wow. it and self-produced it. And if you listen to it, you can tell that there is a lot of effort and, you know, blood, sweat and tears in it. Kevin's right. I mean, really it just needed a professional mix and production. It needed a producer and we were trying to do, we were trying to wear too many hats and it, it, it it did kind of come out to be, Oh, kind of a hodgepodge. But, um, we had the opportunity while we were the find and the record had just come out or, or shortly thereafter to open for counting crows at Saltaire. 
they had an wow. opening act. It was winter time. Their band got snowed in coming from Denver. They couldn't make it. Uh, we had made ties with a local talent agency and they gave us a call and said, do you want to open for the crows? And we were like, uh, yeah. He's like, okay, you have to be down there in like three hours. And everyone was at work. And so I quickly called it. I think I paged everybody. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> this was the what 90, when was this Kevin? 98, 99, 97, something like that. Yeah, pagers. Yeah. Pagers. pagers. And everyone was like, well, like, uh, uh, yeah, I'll have to cancel. Yes, we'll be there. So we showed up, we sound checked. We had been playing probably once or at least maybe twice a week, all clubs. We had really honed a show. Like we had really got our chops together. So when we opened for the Counting Crows at Saltaire, sold out crowd, we rocked, if I don't say yeah. so myself. And uh, even the band a- afterwards, the, the Counting Crows were like, dude, where'd you guys come from? <laughs> and so I, I, I remember thinking, wow, I mean, the, the sold out crowd was just cheering. And like, we sold some CDs and, and uh, it, it, I thought, man, everyone's going to know who we are. This is fantastic. And like the next, Oh, totally. The next week went by, there were no write-ups in the local newspapers. Nobody, no. nobody covered oh, this. No. Nobody covered the show. Well, someone did cover the show and, and wrote about the crows, but said nothing about the opening band. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we no. got zero press uh, out of it. And I remember we went to the next gig. I think it was like a port call or something, which they actually paid us pretty well. But there was like 12 people sitting there who didn't come to see us. And it was so disheartening. It was just like, oh yeah. my gosh. And Kevin and I are just so fed up with playing to nobody. <laughs> playing to, I yeah. don't mean those people aren't nobodies. I mean- Right, they didn't right. come to. The they didn't come crowds. to hear us. Yeah. You know, our wives they can only come to, to so many out. shows. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that 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 wrapped up the find. That was it. The find was done. Find got lost. Yeah, uh, yeah. The find but got sh- lost. And then we had a friend who kind of followed us down in in attempt to sort of uh, be part of of our of our of our thing. And we called ourselves Penny Racer. It was a trio, and we we got gigs playing at the you know places like the vibe the viper room and the cat club and um you know the mint and other places down in, in los angeles but again it was a lot of playing for very few people we couldn't really get a toehold so there. so even after the find you put together another band in la we did it was a trio it was another democracy and <laughs> i was trying to i was trying to convince <laughs> kevin look i've always i was always attracted to um to kevin's artistic side i'm more of a nerd totally like a science geek nerd uh wannabe mostly but you know i got a master's in physics that says something and i (laughs) you know i love math and and uh, i was trying to i told him multiple times kevin (laughs) you need to be in charge i was perfectly happy to let him go hog wild, let Kevin go hog wild with the creative stuff. And then I would try to, you know, I would reel it in a little bit. And that's basically what Checkpoint Charlie is. But Pen- Penny Racer was not that. We we had one more go with the Democratic band. And that was most of our LA time actually was with was Penny, was Racer. Penny Racer. And the Checkpoint- Great name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Great name, Penny Racer. It was fun. Yeah. Checkpoint Charlie's first albums, songs one through 12, it was shipped to us and on our doorstep after Kevin moved to Florida. So we didn't really wow. get a chance to get out and play and promote the band. 
I really felt ditched, honestly. I was living in Los Angeles. He had moved to Florida with his wife because uh, he got a great job offer. And that's one thing about us. We've always put our families first. We've always put the church first and our careers. We've always put them first. And I would have to say, honestly, our musical careers, if you can call that, suffered. Um, sure. But of course. So what? We've, we, we still make, I think incredible music. It's super fun. It, it lifts my souls in high into the heavens. Um, and it, I know it does that for some others too. So could we have made six or seven records by now? Yes. Would we still be married to the same women? Probably not. <laughs> Kevin taught me a huge lesson because I was really feeling like checkpoint Charlie was it. We, we got a little, we had a legit producer. We had a legit record. It was amazing. We were ready to take over the world and Kevin ups and moves and to the other side of the country. And I, I was, I was really, I was really messed up over it for a while. Um, but he taught me a really important lesson and he has done that time and time again, that you have to put the most important things first. And I always thought I was pretty good at that, but watching him, someone who was so incredibly talented put it on the back burner for things that are more important. That's part of why I think Heavenly Father uh, um, has been telling us we needed to get this record done and finish it. And we need to do more from here on out. Even though we still have small kids, it's hard. It's hard with small kids. Anything's hard with small kids. Everything's hard with small kids, yeah. Yeah. But the new album is fantastic. Where did the name Pomp, Twaddle, and Bombast come from? It was a, 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 a 16th century composer who said that all modern music was nothing but Pomp, Twaddle, and Bombast. And there was no real, um, <laughs> uh, I think it was, Sibelius, I, I can't remember if it was Sibelius or somebody else. I mean, it was basically there was, my, my, my wife uh, got her degree in vocal performance. And one day when we were in, uh, in Florida, she was finishing up her degree and she's like, this composer said that all current music is nothing but pump twaddle and bombast. And I was like, I'm naming our next record that. <laughs> and, and, and that's what it is. But um, you know, the, 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 the interesting thing is, is that like, okay, in the making of this record and the making of the first one, um, I used to work with the band Switchfoot. Um, oh yeah. And wow. uh, one of the things that John Foreman, their singer said to me one time, I, I, I said, you know, I love how your music, uh, conveys the message but doesn't do it with a heavy hand and it doesn't shake you and 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 you know convey it with a, a preachy nature and he said well if you're playing to the choir no one's going to sing your song um mm. and, and so all of the themes in the lyrics of this record which I'm really really proud of um are yeah. are, are very much gospel centered um, but they're not in a way that is very overt. Um, you know, the, the, this reoccurring themes over and over again from, you know, midlife crisis and, and making the right choice there to, um, <laughs> a, a, a senior onset dementia to, um, our first parents, um, <laughs> to even just redemption and, and repentance. Um, it, it, there's a, a tribute to my dad on there who, who never thought that he really, um, accomplished anything except for the fact that his all five of his children were you know born in the covenant and then married in the temple um all all these themes are are very much centered in 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 the gospel and we're 
Jesse and I aren't anybody, so we can afford to wear our faith on our sleeves. And even if we were somebody, we would still do the same thing. And some of your songs, it's more over. Maybe Adam and Eve is a little bit more over. I think if you're endowed, still... you get the full meaning of of, of that uh, of that record. That yeah, song. it's it's a it's a great song. I have to say, track number three, facing the music, hands down my favorite track Grateful. on the album. Nice, love that. Love that, that one. is, guys. That is a great song. Um, Thank you. How did you guys record? You're, we've got, uh, you know, you guys are across the country from each other. How do you? How did you record this album? It was it was it was challenging. Um, we thought that we were going to record everything by ourselves and mix it by ourselves and <laughs> back to square one. Right. Um, yeah. and we decided it needed, it needed the real thing. We actually recorded, we had a recording session in Chicago, uh, where we did drums. Jim Riley, who plays drums for Rascal Flats, uh, did us a solid and, and recorded those tracks. And then, oh, wow. uh, we, awesome. we combined that with a couple of demos, uh, that, you know, that Ian had done for us, uh, as well as some of the things that we had done together in Salt Lake City. But a lot of it was, you know, recorded both separately. And then once we found our producer, our co-producer, um, Jay Took, here in Nashville, it was uh, unfortunately a lot of Jesse flying to Nashville. <laughs> but it wasn't just one big record. You didn't fly no. to Nashville and in a week nail it. A lot of our listeners are probably big fans of uh, a certain piano player named John Schmidt. Yep. How did that come together with John Schmidt working with you guys? Well, it started when he married my oldest sister. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. My oldest sister is Michelle, uh, Michelle Schmidt, his wife. And um, I we used to live, when, when my wife and I were first married, we lived in their basement. They lived in a little teeny house on Bryan Avenue in Salt Lake City. And uh, we lived in their basement and I, I would hear John work out song after song after song. And I'd go, I'd go running up the stairs and say, John, you need to try this chord change. Right, right, right here. <laughs> and I think he heard, I think he listened to me once. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. He has all of his that's own great. ideas and they're brilliant, but I am credited with one on, on, on his song, three ships, th- that key change that just happens. That, that was all me. I take full credit for that. Oh, that is awesome. <laughs> That's that's cool. You got to call in the family. I uh, did. I did. The family favor with it. Well, but you it, know what? He it, was so excited to do it. He's such a good dude. That is awesome. It was really cool because yeah, Jesse actually recorded that at John's house. Um, and, and I sat and watched on FaceTime while I was pretending to work at my desk <laughs> here in Nashville. <laughs> and, and, um, and and it came together just beautifully. When, uh, yeah, we we actually got the opportunity a couple of times to open for John at uh, Thanksgiving Point, and then once uh, um, I think Snow Basin or something like that. And that's great. Um, he's always been a, a, a huge supporter of us in our musical endeavors. Uh, but it's fun to see what he's done as well as just the piano. Oh, guys, yeah. But him- him personally, I mean, obviously the piano guys through the roof, but him personally. Now that the, the piano guys, he won't know. let us open for him anymore. It's kind of lame. <laughs> what? Come on. Uh, Jeez, John. So what's next for Checkpoint Charlie? The album's done. What's next for you to guys? To be honest with you, what's next is um, I've, I'm the, uh, I don't want to brag or anything like that, but I'm the, um, the troop leader for my son's Cub Scout troop. Um, right on. And uh, I've got baby number six coming. Uh, oh my gosh. And, Good for you. And Jesse is, uh, raising his family and moving and, awesome. um, 
I mean, we've come to be trying to be honest with you. We've come a long way to make this record. We've, you know, waded through personal tragedy and multiple moves and, you know, Jesse having a, a baby pass away. And, and I don't want to speak for you or anything mm. like Jesse, like that, Jesse, but I mean, yeah. so many like triumph yeah. and tragedy has combined to make this record what it is. And, and we went to the expense of, you know, pressing it to vinyl and doing it all the right way so that it could you know, sit and hopefully not gather dust in our basement. You know, we, we awesome. wasn't anything else. We just want people to listen. And so you know, our hope is, is that we can use the sort of musical mojo that we've received from this to make something, you know, make, make the next record, you know? Yeah. We will continue to make music for sure. I, I can tell, and you'll continue to do it. I can tell the right way when the timing's right. I just love your friendship. I love your brotherhood. I love your music, and I love that there are saints like you out there who are just tearing it up uh, with music, but then also doing all the righteous things. We're we're about at time, but uh, and uh, gosh, I could ask you so many more questions about music because I just love what you guys are doing. Episode but, two, uh, we want to <laughs> episode two. Maybe that's what we'll do on episode two. But uh, we want to wrap up with the the question that we ask all of our guests. Why don't we start with uh, Kevin? Since we started with Jesse at the beginning, Kevin, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Uh, being a member of the church means everything to me. Um, we live in a, in a time that is uh, both terrific and terrifying, and we have a beautiful world that is full of triumph and chaos. And, and we have an anchor that exists that helps us be who we are um, and, and, and be something bigger than we are. And... The only reason why a, a screw up like me could possibly find any success or happiness or spiritual center in this world is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and and putting family first. You know, facing the music is about putting aside childish things and making sure that you focus on what's most important. And for me, it's my wife, it's my five and a half children, it's my friendship with Jesse and my you know my extended family. Um, love it and and friends i mean my gosh we had the opportunity to come in contact with so many amazing people throughout our life and and, and the gospel affords so much of that it, it's it's a true miracle and a true blessing jesse what does being a member of the church mean to you well it it gives me a spiritual identity for sure um i i remain perfectly convinced that there is a god somewhere in the universe and that we are his children. I feel it in the core of my soul. And I truly, truly believe that there is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And I haven't studied all the other religions in the, in the world or the universe, but uh, boy, it just seems like this truly is the stone cut out without hands rolling forth to fill the whole earth. And I am just thrilled to be a part of it and to bear testimony of it. I know it's true. I know it's the Lord's church. And as small as we are in numbers from someone from the outside looking in, that might just seem asinine. I get it. I get that seems ridiculous, but you know, ask yourself, how would God do it any other way? 
He could mm-hmm. come down with a big giant trumpet and just say, this is my true prophet. This is my true <laughs> church. But then that takes away faith, right? Because it just, boom, that turns into knowledge at, at, at that point. And this whole existence is about learning and growing mm. through faith. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. Amen. <laughs> I love it. Amen. That was powerful. The band is Checkpoint Charlie, the new album, Pomp, Twaddle, and Bombast, songs 13 through 24, is now out. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Spotify, wherever you get your music. And on 2B Vinyl. Out at Checkpoint. <laughs> and on vinyl. I'm a vinyl guy, so I'm going to buy the album on vinyl. So You can buy that uh, off our website. I will I will be making that purchase myself. Uh, and it's Checkpoint Charlie Rocks. That's with an L-E-Y at the end of Charlie uh, Jesse Andereg and Kevin Packard. They are musicians. They are Checkpoint Charlie. They are also fathers, husbands, scout leaders, <laughs> and all those amazing things that make us children of God. Jesse and Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your Latter-day life with us. God bless you. You're very thank welcome. You. Thanks for having us. And my special thanks to Kevin and Jesse for coming on and telling us all about Checkpoint Charlie. The thing that stood out to me is, while it's a great story of a band and an album and all these other things they're doing, it's really a story of two best friends uh, who support each other, love each other, and that just came shining through. And I really hope to get to meet them someday. Please go check out their music. It is so good. Whether it's on vinyl or download, you've got to check out Checkpoint Charlie. It's excellent. This week in my Latter-day life, I think I've mentioned before on the show that uh, I love audiobooks. I'm usually juggling two or three different books, and right now uh, I am in the middle of a book called The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. And The Warmth of Other Suns really tells the story of the migration out of the South over a few decades of uh, Black Americans during the Jim Crow time, uh, during other times that, uh, that they left the South and, and tried to head for friendlier places. And there are so many things I did not know about this shameful, ugly time in American history. And the author does an incredible job telling these stories. And I've been listening, and it's been hard. It's hard to listen to it. Uh, to hear some of the indignities and just the inhumanity of man just because of the color of someone's skin. And I was telling my wife on Saturday that it's almost hard to listen to, uh, like, uh, just continuously. I'm having to stop and take breaks because uh, some of the, the stories are just so sad. And it was weighing heavily on my heart. Uh, the book, really just shows this has been our national shame. It's it's really terrible. And then on uh, Saturday, I was reading, Saturday afternoon, one of our local newspapers, and I saw the headline that President Nelson, our prophet, was going to be speaking at the NAACP conference that was going to be held as of the release of the show last night, Sunday night. And uh, I didn't know anything about this. This surprised me. And so I went on to read the article, and it's in the Deseret News, and I'm, I'm sure it was covered by a lot of other news agencies, but it is such a beautiful article, 
And, and it just surprised me. I thought, why is President Nelson speaking at the NAACP conference? And it turns out that uh, the church has been doing a lot of work in the inner cities of America. And one of the big things they've been doing is they took the financial literacy program that we have, and that's a program that the church has put together, and the church worked with local pastors, with local community activists within the inner city, and tweaked the financial literacy program to be specific to the inner city and to deal specifically with the issues that people in the inner cities were struggling with. And they've taken this out to a test area, and now they're rolling it out and expanding it to more and more cities. And it's going to touch so many lives. And they had testimonials. Uh, They had quotes from people who had done the program. One that touched my heart so much was a lady who said she took three buses just to take this class. And how much this class impacted her life and changed the way she looked at money. The church is also working with people in the inner cities to be able to clean up their their records and expunge some of their criminal records so that they can get better jobs and make their lives better. And the church is working on so many great programs in the inner city. And one of the uh, pastors who is working with uh, the members of uh, of our faith on this effort, he said, you know, we've had a difficult past together. But it's amazing what we're doing in the future, and I'm paraphrasing him, but he talked about how the future was so bright, and for the NAACP to recognize the church, what a great bridge that we are building together. It just touched my heart, and it just made me so happy to read it all, and I'm just grateful to be a part of this awesome organization that works so hard to bless the lives of so many. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Uh, we really appreciate it. Again, we have our, our 100th episode coming up very soon. If you have a question for us behind the scenes or a request or a comment, uh, please send it over to me. I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We're also on Facebook. We're on Instagram, Twitter. We can be reached at all of those places. We love hearing from you. If you get a minute to leave us a five-star review, we would certainly appreciate it. It helps other people to find the show. And so until next week, when we will have a fantastic show for you again, please remember, as always, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 